Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and I'm the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org, or to discover more about our radio ministry or our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're considering the last two verses of Haggai's prophecy to a small remnant of Jews attempting to rebuild the destroyed temple out of the rubble as they've returned from captivity from Babylon. At the head of this group is a man named Zerubbabel. The work is so minor compared to the past glory that was realized in Solomon's temple, and yet God through Haggai declares over this man names that will one day be declared over the Messiah on the final day when he sets up his kingdom over Israel. Zerubbabel is told he'll be called God's chosen, God's servant, God's signet ring, an expression of intimacy and love and authority. And today we consider that in the final day, God will extend to us who have been faithful to him names of our Savior as well. All that's going to be fulfilled completely one day. All the great glory that was somehow mirrored in some shadowy form in the temple that Zerubbabel was building is going to be answered in the complete, complete unfolding expression of the great glory that the Messiah will one day bring upon the earth. And yet, the glory that Messiah can bring to your heart right now and my heart as we receive him and yield to him. And in that day, when that day comes, when all this is brought to completion and it's complete and total climax over all the earth, Zerubbabel, Haggai says, you will be represented in the Messiah. And God says to you, Zerubbabel, I shall call you in the Messiah, my chosen, my servant, my signet ring. Can you imagine how encouraging that was for Zerubbabel? This guy who in a sense is an expression of the bottoming out of his own kingly lineage to almost nothing from its great heights of power, and yet he's being told, no, no. The great majesty and glory and power of God's salvation through the Messiah is going to be declared over you. It's going to be declared over you one day. The line will go down into more humble forms than this. It'll go all the way down into a carpenter that will arrive to Jerusalem on a donkey, go into the humility of our sin all the way to the point of the death of the cross for us. But oh, a kingdom has come through him, and a kingdom is coming through him. Now this is a tremendous expression as well of God's grace and God's mercy. Especially when you recall that, as we mentioned, Zerubbabel was the grandson of Jehoiachin. What you need to know about Jehoiachin was that he was an idolatrous king. His evil and wickedness was to such an extent that God only allows him to rule for three months before he removes him and takes him away. He and his mother and his court are all led away into captivity into Babylon. And there he is put in prison by Nebuchadnezzar and Through Jeremiah, God actually pronounces a curse against Jehoiachin. And it's very interesting and very telling. It shows how merciful God is, but it doesn't sound this way when the curse was given. Take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. We're telling a story here. We're seeing the the beauty of the way God weaves together the, the romance or poetry of his salvation through the historical experience of men. The prophet Jeremiah rises up and preaches against Jehoiachin, he refers to Jehoiachin in this passage as Konaniah. Jeremiah 22, 24 through 30. Jeremiah speaks God's curse against Jehoiachin, who he refers to again as Konaniah, and he says here, As I live, says the Lord, though Kaniah, 
the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck him off. If you were my sign and seal of authority, I'd pull it off my finger and cast you away. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out. That's what he's going to do with you. And your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you will die. But to the land to which they desire to return, there they shall not return. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are you cast out, or why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into the land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. There's my curse against Kaniah, against Jehoiachin. And yet, this isn't carried out altogether. Jehoiachin is led off into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. He's thrown into prison by Nebuchadnezzar. But he had children. And one of his descendants does prosper. And one of his descendants will reign on the throne of David forever and ever. You go to Matthew chapter 1. And Jehoiachin and Zerubbabel are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. How curious. This prophecy is not fulfilled. What you need to understand is not every prophecy is meant to be fulfilled. Not every prophecy is given so that the fulfillment is locked in place. Some prophecies are made in order to stir people up to repentance and to return to God. They're made as warnings so that men might return back to God and find his mercy and that the curse and the prophecy might be reversed. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah is a famous prophet in Israel because Jonah has announced the defeat in one of Israel's enemies and it comes about. So he's a popular person in all of Israel. And then God comes to Jonah and says, now Jonah, I want you to go to Assyria, to Nineveh, and I want you to pronounce that I'm going to overthrow that kingdom. And Jonah doesn't want to go because Jonah understands something. Wait a second, God, if you make me go there, you're only sending me there because you're giving them a chance to know what's ahead so they would repent and turn back. Jonah doesn't want to go, and so Jonah flees in the other direction. God interrupts him in his flight, and God has a unique way of getting Jonah back to Nineveh. And Jonah goes back to Nineveh, and Jonah in chapter 3 begins to march through Nineveh for 40 days, declaring, yet in 40 days, this kingdom shall be overthrown. Jonah chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, we read the reaction of the king of Nineveh, the king of Assyria, and the people of Nineveh. It says there that the king put out a decree saying this, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? God sees the repenting and God relents from his judgment and he restores them, and he doesn't judge Nineveh at that time, and Jonah doesn't like it. Jonah is not happy. 
that God has used him to be an agent to bring mercy and grace to the people of Nineveh who are his enemies. But just understand, not every prophecy is meant to be fulfilled. It's meant to stir you and turn you to seek God for mercy. The Jewish tradition of the life of Jehoiachin is this, that after Jehoiachin was led away into captivity, when he's in prison under Nebuchadnezzar, he repents of his idolatry. And he becomes zealous for the law of God, and he begins to submit himself to it and follow it. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar has a bit of mercy on him and allows his wife to be brought into the prison house with him. And there, the messianic line continues. And then the Bible does reveal to us that after Nebuchadnezzar died, that Nebuchadnezzar's son elevates Jehoiachin out of the prison house and lets him eat at his table for the rest of his life. Basically, what happens is Jehoiachin is allowed to be king of Israel at the seat and at the table of the king of Babylon. And God lifts him back up. And he has a grandson named Zerubbabel. Becomes like a mayor of a small group of people that go back to Jerusalem. And as we've said, Jehoiachin and Zerubbabel are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus that's recorded by Matthew in Matthew chapter 1. There's an understanding as well that it's in the book of Luke as well. In fact, the only two names that are repeated in both both of the um, lineages, Jehoiachin and Zerubbabel. How interesting is that? How wonderful is that? What are the lessons that we learn from all these things? Very quickly, just very quickly. The first lesson here is this. You turn to God in faith, you repent and trust in Him, and He can reverse every curse. He can reverse every curse. If you've crossed the line in your life into misery and failure, and there's a history that's piling up against you of accumulated curses, and you think it's too late for you, just know that God's pronouncements against you because of your sin, the seeds that you've sown of corruption by your own actions and decisions are actually meant to turn you into God's promises. And if you'll relent and you'll turn back to him, he holds out to you who put faith in his provision through his son, Jesus Christ, who's come to die and take the penalty for all your sins. He's promised to reverse that curse and receive it to himself. And at that very moment, that one who's coming one day to reign upon all the earth will set up his kingdom in your heart. He'll begin to make your own inner life a garden of his rule and his reign, a throne of his righteousness. That's the promise here. It's a tremendous promise. No matter how low you've gone, no matter how low the the history of your family has gone, no matter how far you've cycled down into ruin because of ongoing stubbornness and rebellion, you turn to him. He writes you into his blessing and his promise. He receives you in himself. He brings to his redemption. Once you're redeemed by him, the next thing he does is he calls you into a life of service, into a life of submission to him, where your life gets to take part in the ongoing narrative of the redemption that he's brought and that he's bringing to the world. Your life becomes a story and an illustration of the kingdom that reigns in men who have believed in the Son and the kingdom that one day is coming to this earth. And when your life falls in line with everything that Christ has done and everything that Christ will do, Your life becomes in line with and in keeping with the full inheritance that one day will be revealed that's going to be given to Jesus Christ. All power, all might, all glory, all praise to Jesus. And the Bible says in Christ we are heirs with him. Everything that's his will be ours. So one day the Lord Jesus is coming to show his triumph over all the ages and his triumph will become your triumph as well. And Jesus is going to be crowned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and 
something of that crown will be laid upon your head as well. The Bible says that we are not going to be just ruled by Christ. What it actually says is that we shall reign with him. We shall reign with him. That's what it says. His kingdom is our fulfillment and our blessing and our promise and all that we do once he's redeemed us and saved us, when we turn back to him, no matter how small and how meager it is, no matter how humble it may seem, all of it is in line with and in keeping with a great glory that shall be revealed and that name that is pronounced upon the Lord Jesus is pronounced over us as well. My servant, my chosen one, my love signet rings, expressions of my authority and power and The Bible says of the believer, we'll we'll judge angels. Tremendous authority given to us. The last little point here is, having said all that, the humble work comes first. The exaltation comes later. The ride with Christ into Jerusalem comes first. The sent down into death and giving up yourself and your own self-pursuit and humility and meekness. A submission to serve him by emptying yourself comes in following the life of the Lord Jesus. You lay it all down. You do the work he's given you to do because he's redeemed you and he puts you in line with all that. 2 Timothy 2 verses 11 to 12 I give to you as the last word. Paul gives it to us as a promise. For if we've died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. It's the glory of the kingdom that's come to our hearts. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.